about to meet a captivating woman, Brandi Gilmore, PhD of natural medicine. Brandi Gilmore is a world-renowned mind, body, and energy expert who is most well-known for her discoveries in self-healing and working with the power of the mind. Brandi speaks on stages around the world and has also been giving a mind-expanding TED Talk. It is with such gratitude and honor that I introduce to you today, Brandi Gilmore. Brandy, thank you so much for creating space for us today and just really being here to connect and share your story and to be able to introduce you to our audience and allow them to get a chance to hear your story and get to know you. Likewise, Francis, thank you so much for having me. And I love that you're doing this. It's just, it's wonderful. Now, for those that aren't familiar with your story and your, your platform and why you do what you do and your passion and your vision that you bring, um, could you share with us a little bit more and take us into um, just who you are and, and your journey that has brought you to this place to even be here this passionate with a story to share with us today? You know, to be honest, this is probably the last thing that I ever thought that I would be doing. You know, I had been, was very fit actually in martial arts and uh, living a full life. I did network engineering operations and, and I loved what I did. And, uh, and basically I had a car accident and also a fall. And literally I went from working a full job and loving what I did to being on in extreme pain on morphine every day and in bed for almost seven years. And uh, radically obviously changed my entire life. I mean, I was using a wheelchair walker cane to get around and the doctors said, there was nothing that they could do for me. And that's where my life was. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's, it, it's a mind, it's, it's a crazy place to be because I was sitting there, you know, like I didn't want to accept it. So I kept going, okay, let me go to a different doctor. Let me go to a different doctor. And I kept looking for the answer. And basically when they said that there was nothing they could do, I started trying, you know, diet and supplements and everything that I could find. And yet still nothing worked. And I was just, you know, in that place of just hoping and praying that they'll find some type of new cure. And it actually kind of reminds me of this time right now with COVID, where we've been waiting and waiting for a cure. That's how my life was. And I was like looking for cures in like everywhere I could find in the middle of the Sahara, but like in medical journals, reading over and over and, you know, just trying to find anything I could. And so, you know, at, at this point, I thought, you know, there's, there's nothing. And I was just laying there in extreme pain on morphine for like years. And finally, there was a medical study for a brand new procedure. And I, my doctors called me and said I could be a part of it. And I thought, oh my God, this is it. I'm going to get my life back. And literally leading up to the study, I was like, oh my God, this is, you know, it just, it really just felt like I was going to go to the hospital to get my life back. And so they wheeled me in my wheelchair into the hospital and the nurse started getting me prepped for this procedure. And I'm literally laying in the hospital bed thinking about who I want to see and all my people and my friends that I miss and the places I want to go. And the doctor, he comes in and he's got this look on his face and he looks at me and he says, you know, Miss Gilmore, 
your injuries are too bad. You're actually not a good candidate for this study. We don't expect you to get better. And I was literally just laying there. I mean, I don't even remember what happened after that. I don't remember getting home. I don't remember the next few days. But the next memory I do have is I was just laying back in my same bed and I didn't even want to move. I didn't even want to open my eyes. It's like, what's the point? And so as I was laying there, this voice or thought in my head says, but Brandy, what about the placebo? And in that moment, it sounded ridiculous, but I thought, you know, it was an like obviously leading up to the research study, I had been thinking, you know, please don't get the placebo, please don't get the placebo, I want to get the real treatment. But it's a known fact that a certain percentage of people will actually get better from just a placebo. And I thought, wait a second, out of this whole study and you know, of this whole thing, there is still like a speck of hope. And of course, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, but how am I ever going to figure out how to use the placebo or how it works? But I couldn't give up if there was still some type of hope. And prior to my injury, you know, I did network engineering, which was troubleshooting all day. And, you know, up to this point, I had done everything where I was getting like nerve ablations and infusions and injections and, and like doing everything they could. But I thought, you know, if I could somehow look at the mind and figure this out, then there's still hope. And at that point, obviously, you can't give up. If there's still an opportunity for maybe something. And of course, my rational mind is like, this is the most ridiculous thing ever. <laughs> but the placebo has been proven to work more than anything ever. I mean, every drug is tested against the placebo. And I thought, you know what? There is somehow magic in our minds that we don't know about. And as a culture, we're just brushing it aside. And so, you know, I started like, meditating and trying to figure everything out. And I was like, but I need to understand this. And so what I did is I started looking at the mind and saying, okay, how does the mind affect the physical body? And, you know, as I was researching the mind, I started looking at, wait a second, 80% of amputees still experience pain and they don't even have a limb which again led, led me to look at the mind and saying, wait a second, they don't even have a limb. There's something else. Then something that really like, <laughs> that really was an eye opener for me was I started looking at people with MPD, multiple personality disorder. And I was, and they can have different ailments when they're in different personalities. Like, they can have asthma or allergies or pain when they're in one personality and not in another. And I was like, asthma, allergy, wait a second. <laughs> this doesn't even make sense. Like they're not changing bodies. They're just changing personalities. And that's what led me on this like journey to understand the mind and what was really going on, you know? One of the biggest things is, is what I love is when I'm listening to you, there was that place of despair negating all hope. But when you realized and you birthed, like just that birth of hope, you know, that, that element, because I, I know your story and I know that you, you, you were in bed and you stayed there for days and you just literally lay there at the, at the end of it all hopeless and just felt you were, you felt like you were at the end of your rope. And then you had this birth of hope and then you began to tap into your mind and yourself asking yourself the questions. And 
I, what I've seen so often is that people take their own life or possibly they put everything they have on the power of a doctor's response or a diagnosis or you know possibly psychiatry or possibly there is no hope and the minute that message of no hope comes people lose the questioning of asking themselves well what and and that element and that power you had to actually tap into yourself self-connect connect with your own answers and understanding that you had to take your own life in your own hands and that kind of um transitional element of just looking for the answers from the doctors and connecting with yourself and the power yeah. of the mind it, it, it is and and i think you, you nailed something right there and it was exactly that it was you know i i literally remember i was laying in bed and you know, I had ups and downs like ever, like, you know, you have good days and bad days and whatnot. So on a good day, I could actually get around with like a, a walker or wheel, my wheelchair uh, or cane. And on a bad day, I, I didn't make it out of bed. And I had a lot, a lot of bad days. Um, but I remember laying there in bed and it was, I don't know, like it was somewhere around dinner time. And at the time I was on medic, like, I didn't even want anybody around. I didn't want people to see me as a mess. I mean, I was just like, I was, I was laying there by myself and it was around dinner time. And I had this vision in my head of everybody else having dinner and my doctor sitting there with family, with his family having dinner as he should. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, I was a thought in my doctor's head for 15 minutes today, <laughs> And I thought, I can't, because, you know, you go in it, because it was after the appointment. So I had had a doctor's appointment earlier that day. And it, and it's like, my doctor, beyond when I left that office, my doctor's not still thinking about me. My doctor's on to the next person. And as, as, as he or she needed to be, and it's time as a he, but I was just like, you know, I have to be more proactive in my health and figuring this out. And, and I was, I mean, I pushed a lot. Like I would have, I would have entire teams of doctors come in because I was like, no, I'm not taking no for an answer. Um, and, and I would have, you know, three, four doctors come in and they would all evaluate and then they would go and try to figure out what was the next plan. That's actually how I got in the study is that my doctors kind of really pushed them to take me. And then finally, when I did get to the study, the study doctor was like, ah, <laughs> no. <laughs> so it, it just, that didn't work out. But when you start looking outside of the box for answers, it's truly incredible. And that's where I was, was just looking at, okay, what makes it work? And I literally, you know, started studying the mind and studying neuroscience and all this stuff. And I started convincing myself I was already healed and, <laughs> and all of these things. And it didn't work. Like, and I was meditating, I was meditating. I was doing like everything. Like my whole house sounded like an ashram mm -hmm. and it didn't work. And so I started looking at it and going, okay, let me simplify this. What does work? How does the mind affect the physical body? And so I broke everything down really simple because after like meditating for like five years and trying to convince myself I was healed and it not working, going, wait a second. And so I started looking at, if we simplify it, where can I see this at? And I was like, okay, well, if somebody's embarrassed, their face turns red. Okay, we know that. Okay, somebody anxiety attack, racing heart, shortness of breath. Okay, we know that, obviously. And so I started thinking, well, you know, 
all right, we know that emotions affect the body. Yes, we all know that. But how much can emotions really affect the physical body? Mm-hmm. And I started looking at it. And I was like, wait a second. To the point of death, when we stop and think about it, I mean, there are, we've heard of the widowhood effect mm-hmm. where a senior has a spouse who dies and they have a much higher rate of death or even things like bored to death and scared to death. Who knew that was a real thing? I mean, when I was going through it researching, I was like, you know, you think they're figures of speech, you know, oh my God, I was bored to death or, oh, I was scared to death. You can actually die from boredom and from fear, from being scared. And I thought, wait a second, if we know that we can be embarrassed and our face turns red or anxiety, we know that and we know these emotions, what are the rest of the emotions doing? Like abandonment or rejection or hurt or anger. We as a culture have a tendency to just bury all of those emotions and and bury it all. And then wonder why we have a health issue pop up. And it's like all that stuff that we're suppressing, which by the way, as I was going through this, I was the biggest skeptic in the world. And uh, not only that, but I'm like, I had a car accident and also had a fall. Like this does not apply to me, (laughs) but I was willing to do anything. And I started looking and I was like, you know, we know that our minds somehow have the ability. Plus we've all heard before that stress affects the physical body. What's interesting about this is that if you look at it, if it was just stress in general, then we could look at any military person, any um, person who has suffered from PTSD and has massive amount of Um, emotional stress. And we would say, oh my God, they're all sick, but that's not the case. And we would also look at it and say, okay, well, every kid or every senior or every person who's retired should be healthy. And that's not the case. And so what's fascinating is this, is that we can see that different emotions affect the body differently. For example, meaning that um, if somebody's embarrassed, their face turns red or anxiety attack is much different than a sexual thought, which creates a sexual physical response. And so we can see that every emotion shows up differently. And so ultimately, this is what's really beautiful about it, is this. The way I look at it on a spiritual level is it's like our, our body is giving us a message to change. So imagine for a moment if somebody has an extreme amount of pattern of like criticism going on and then it's showing up in their body. And they get to a point where they actually release that criticism and the body heals. I mean, it's basically, it's giving us a message to create change that actually helps improve our entire life. And that's what's really exciting. Um, You know, we've all heard before, our thoughts help create our lives. You know, um, Einstein would say, imagination is the preview of life's coming attraction or even if we look at psychology, traditional psychology, we've probably all heard before uh, that we all have patterns, patterns of dating where a, maybe um, a woman has an abusive father and leaves him and finds the abusive boyfriend, boss, spouse, blah, blah, blah. Now that doesn't always happen. Depends on what's, what all's going on in the mind, but we've heard about people having patterns like that. And so some people refer to it as a law of attraction. There you go law of attraction, energy, quantum physics, um, whatever we want to call it. Absolutely. Our thoughts help create our lives, you know? Um, And so 
ultimately, um, when we shift what's going on in our body, the awesome thing is, is that we also shift our life. And that's one of the things that, I mean, as I shifted my mind and really began to understand my mind and shift my mind, it changed my entire life and my health and just everything, just truly, truly incredible. And that's what's, that's what's so exciting about doing the inner work. It's health changing and life changing. For those that aren't familiar with how you maneuvered and moved through from taking those questions and understanding these concepts and then how in your life it actually played out and how you began to actually see that physical response based on these changes. Can you go into with us a little bit more when you did have that internal like awareness or that aha moment where you said, oh my gosh, I see the connections. I'm understanding how this applies. What that, what that awareness was and then what did it look like as you began to, I like to call it, implement it in real time. You know, then once we get that headspace knowledge, we're in real time trying to implement these tools and techniques, much of which people will get to learn in these next coming days. But just the mere concept that your own personal awareness is and that there's a transition effect and the implementation into your own life that brought you to that next place. I would say there's a lot of epiphanies along the way. You know, again, I was a skeptic going through it. And so there's that. Also, there's a lot of misconceptions about the mind. Um, and so uh, it was part of it was creating a basic awareness and then moving through my skepticism to say, okay, let me, let me try it. And then also what's interesting is that, you know, uh, if I bring it down very simply, you know, we can see that emotions affect the body. That's clear. Okay. And then you might think, well, why don't all emotions affect the body. If every emotion affected the body, then we just, everybody would be sick if they had a negative emotion. And so that was an area of research. I also really dove into to figure out what was going on. And basically the easiest way to describe it is that, you know, if you're going to make cake, um, if you have flour, you can't make cake, but you, if you have flour and you mix it with multiple ingredients, then you can make cake. And so what happens is it's really about a combination, a specific combination of emotions in the mind. And so what I did in going through my injury is I was figuring them out. I had ups and downs. Uh, it, it, it was a process to figure out what specifically that I needed to change and what specifically that I needed to do. So mine was not the best story. I mean, what I'm most known for now is showing people how to release pain and chronic pain in minutes using just their mind by creating that shift. And so, um, so my story is not the best example because I was figuring out a lot of the counterintuitive stuff with the mind at the same time. But your story took you to that place of asking questions and that connection in that empathetic place where you understand, where you tell people, Hey, I get it. I see you. I hear you. I understand. I've been there. And then the concepts of those perpetual questions. I love the why learners. I love the children. We see the children asking, but why, but why, but why? And at such a young age, we're kind of told to negate those questions. Too many questions fall in line. And, and, the, and those but whys are the most powerful. That's a powerful motivation for change in a way. It is. You would think more people wouldn't look at the placebo and say, but why? <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? And we're like, but man, that's an anomaly. Let's set it aside. Or even multiple personality disorder where people can have different ailments and allergies and whatnot in different personalities. You would think we would be like, but why is that? But how? <laughs> or even, yeah, or even you've probably heard before that our bodies are constantly repairing and replacing cells 
where we even have, it's estimated science estimates, it's about a new skeleton about every 10 years. And then you go, as I was researching, I was like, but how does somebody have that old football injury from high school 40 years later? Or, you know, and you go, but isn't the body, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting. Are you at liberty to share with us a little bit more some of these elements? I've seen the imaging. I've seen what you what you've done when you when you work with people and kind of um, the elements and the triggers and what you tap into in the brain. Can we can we kind of geek out a little bit um, and go into a little bit of brain brain science and talk about those elements in the brain, the the methods and um, how you kind of tap in a little bit more of that implementation, what that looks like. You know, absolutely. And I make it look really ridiculously simple, uh, but very simply. Okay. So when I got better, I thought people are going to think I'm crazy because I would have thought I was crazy. <laughs> like, how did she go from that wheelchair walker cane to actually walking and running and hundred percent healthy? That doesn't make sense. And, and so I wanted to be able to show it. And so that's why the scans, as far as the scans go, basically what I do is after I got better, I then reverse engineered what I did and how I did it. And then I started taking people and coaching them to use their mind. And let's say that somebody has like um, neck pain. And so under this scan, thermography, um, thermography is basically like a heat scan of the body. You probably familiar of it, but just in case for anybody who doesn't know, um, it's like a heat scan of the body. And so if somebody has neck pain, what will happen is on the skin, it shows up bright red where there's any issue. And so that issue will show up like over the neck. And so what happens is I've been able to take people under that scan and literally just coach them to use their mind. And as they do, you'll literally see the scan turn from red to green as their pain goes away. And you can see it real time, which is awesome because you can see the physical changes happening. Now, what I do to do that, if we really just simplify it, is I'm targeting the specific emotion that they're having, specific combination of emotions that they're having, and I just shift it. And I guess the best way to describe it, you know, is if somebody's in like having an anxiety attack and then you stop the anxiety, then they stop having that attack. Now, I do that at a deeper level of the mind. So when we look at the subconscious, the subconscious controls everything. It controls our way, our, like our breath, our heartbeats. We don't have to think about our heart beating. We don't have to think about breathing. We just automatically do it. Of course, a, pe a lot of people have tightened up, so then they, they don't necessarily do it right anymore. work too, because the air <laughs> is the, yes, moving air through our body and, and the healing effects of the air, yes. All of this stuff is happening at a subconscious level. Mm -hmm. And so what I do when I work with people is I identify what is in their subconscious mind that is triggering their health to be off. And then I help them to shift that. And the results are incredible. I mean, I see people not just releasing pain in minutes. I've worked with people who like MS were paralyzed with frozen limbs that were stuck for years. The concept of 
of emotions in the gut, in the Webster's Dictionary, talks not only about the part of our physical body, the gut and digestion, but actual emotional element. So even Webster's Dictionary makes that connection between the physical body and an emotional awareness. And Forbes just blew my mind maybe two weeks ago when they released an article talking about emotions in the workplace, which is a whole new concept in a linear processing world where results are oriented and we like things a matter of fact in black and white. Emotions are uncertain. Emotions are not controllable. So this is literally science is, is, is all of a sudden like merging and morphing together with the cosmic understanding of our energy, of our bodies, of our emotions to just get a better understanding of humans and, and how we work in such an ordered volatile space, you know? And, um, and, and so this is scientifically proven. This isn't just a general concept that has just kind of surfaced here. It's just kind of, we've fallen away from it with life and the busy nature of of, of just production and, um, and result-oriented behavior. And so I love that, that, you're, that you're talking about this and the results you're seeing. Absolutely, and something else that's really great. So, um, so in the last like, in the last few years, multiple studies on it, but basically they're starting to link loneliness to type two diabetes. And so what's great uh, is that there are more studies that are finally coming out. And this is, this is awesome that it's actually starting to get even more into Western science where we're actually seeing that show up. Another thing that happened is that a, a few years ago, they actually opened up a center for happiness, health and happiness at I'm Harvard, at Harvard, <laughs> right? And, but it's actually to restart researching emotions. And so I love that more and more we're seeing that connection. Now with type two diabetes, typically when I help people uh, work with it and reverse it and whatnot, it's usually more than just loneliness. There's a combination, but point being, you're seeing it show up even more and more and more as well in Western medicine. And that's really exciting. Even was like, even as you start to see even um, health insurance commercials have been starting to go, if you're emotionally stressed, that can bother your health also. And so we're seeing it more and more and more. And that's what I love about like this whole thing is, is just getting more and more people with the awareness of, hey, this is what's really going on at a deeper level, you know? For many people, COVID, you had kids home from school, you know, here in, in, in America and around the world, you know, people were quarantined, life stopped. And they began to see that when life stopped, people were kind of forced with, with introspection. And um, what I, I, I love the concept of the Japanese and how they approach actual psychology, which I think is, 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 is incredible, is instead of going through the story or kind of like bringing up all of, our, all of our mess, they actually believe in promoting newness, be it change, movement, emotional, or even steps toward evoking the emotions you want, and then kind of the body and the mind follow. And we are, as a society and as a world, as a whole right now, we are kind of like in a forced meditation where it's so hard for people to still the noise or to, to stop and have that pattern interrupt. And one thing the brain likes is humans, or like they like to categorize things, they like patterns. Well, when the brain has a pattern interrupt, a massive change, a trauma, an accident, COVID, or these elements, it's actually a blessing in disguise. And 
you may say why, and it's because when the brain is interrupted from its methodical in and out, in and out, in and out kind of repetitive element where it goes into autopilot, that massive impact and change causes and pattern interrupt, which actually causes the brain to troubleshoot in an awareness, or at least the ability for awareness is prompted. So the the intention of this element is kind of like a, a, a call from the rooftop saying, all right, guys, while we are all in this newness state, a little bit of a pattern interrupt, taking these concepts of these new approaches, we are ready, our brains are ready to even look at the concepts that you're talking about and um, tap into these elements and it gets messy. You know, can, can, you, can you concur with that, that shadow work? And when we're going through some of these things, there's a, there's a system of transition and you kind of got to build, break, break apart or remove the old before you implement the good. Can you tell us kind of when you began to have realizations in your own life or others um, where you see there's a shift, right? There's a shift that has to happen. There is a shift that has to happen, um, but it's at a deeper, a lot of time it's at a deeper level. The, so the shift that has to happen, the best way to illustrate it is this, is that a lot of people, they start to think like consciousness is something outside of us. They, they start like, they, like, you'll see people who will say like, you know, they're, they're picturing the moon and the galaxies and the stars and they're kind of like a, a bit outward facing but ultimately, the best way to, to describe it is this, is that, is that if you imagine a woman who's really, really, really upset, and she's really, really upset, and if you try to talk to her, what happens? She, she, just, she just doesn't, she shuts you up. <laughs> There's a lot of energy <laughs> happening, you know. I'm Shush. trying to go there myself, you know. Just a lot of erratic fluidity of emotion coming at you, you know. Really exactly. Quickly. You can't reason with her, mm -hmm. okay? But... If she's calmed down, how well can you reason with her? Really well, right? A lot better. Okay. Now, if we take that awareness to a deeper level and we actually calm our minds down at an even deeper level, what happens is that's when you open your mind to more consciousness. Because just like if she's really, really upset, she's not going to hear you. If she calms down, she can get new perspective, new awareness. And that's powerful. Now, the next level of that is, in a, is deeper when you're actually addressing specific things in the subconscious mind and you start to actually be able to uh, shut down old emotions and old patterns running. Then what you have is that next level of being able to not just have more awareness, but have a lot more awareness. And that's where your consciousness will really expand. And so a lot of people think it's just gonna like, Unfortunately, like it really involves shutting down emotional patterns. Um, meditation won't typically take you there. Um, it's really about going to that deeper level and shutting down old triggers so they're not there anymore. Because what happens is the best way to think about it is like if you can still think back to some type of old memory, if you can think back to some old problem and you remember how you feel then it's still there. So an example of that is on a positive note, is anybody who's ever listened to their wedding song before and they melt, you know? And that's all of those feelings just come back. It's not like those so that song recreates it, all of those emotions come back. But if you can also think back to a time when you were angry with somebody and you think back and be like, yeah, they did this or they did that, a lot of people, what they do is they go, yeah, so-and-so did this or they did that. And they have a certain feeling about it, but then they go, but I forgive them. And what's happening is they're like 
putting a patch on, on a problem and then thinking that it's gone. But I like to call the subconscious mind your subconscious closet. And any of those old memories, you actually have to like empty stuff out of your closet to change your health and to change your life. And so I would say that there's multiple areas for a shift. Part of it has to do with being able to have increased consciousness. And that's when you start emptying your mind of old stuff that you don't need and patterns that are bringing you down and bringing your energy down, then that's when that real change starts to occur. When it comes to, when it comes to healing, so there's a few things. So when it comes to healing, a lot of times what I'm actually looking at is not what's really in the brain, but miswirings. And the best way to think about that is to think about um, if you've ever heard before of a cutter, uh, somebody, if you, if you haven't heard of a cutter before, somebody who cuts themselves mm -hmm. and what happens is they can experience a feeling of euphoria or even of uh, relief from cutting themselves. Now, I got to tell you, if somebody cut me out, I'd be like, ow, or if I tried to cut myself, I wouldn't be able to do it. And so that's a way we can see that the brain gets miswired. Like somebody can go through a trauma and you can see that's a huge miswiring. And so what happens is when we stop and, and think about it, that's like one that we can see that's, that's a major miswiring, but there are so many different miswirings that occur that we don't necessarily see. And so that's typically the thing that I'm looking for when I'm working on healing with somebody um, is, is that, is I find the specific either patterns or miswirings that are going on more and more where we can see it, but still geek out on it is even if we look at free radically damaged cells. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that I was looking at when I was going through um, my research was I was looking at, okay, but how is it possible for the mind to affect the physical body? Like, I just didn't get it. Like, I, I was like, okay, I can see the emotions. I can see all of that, but the physical body, wait a second. And the reality of it is when you start to look at the body, it's not so physical. I mean, we're made of like oxygen and nitrogen and carbon. <laughs> like we're a bunch of elements. And when you break that down, we're atoms and molecules. Now, when you start to look at it for a moment, Atoms and molecules, obviously, you know, we have proton, neutron, electron. When we start to look at it for a moment, if you've ever heard of a free radically damaged cell, now a lot of people immediately think of like EMFs, electromagnetic frequency, or they think about uh, diet or um, toxins or things like that. But stress can actually impact the a free radically damaged cell. Now, really quickly to simple, I like to keep everything super simple to just get results. So if we look at a free radically damaged cell, the easiest way to really illustrate that is to think about a car with an uneven amount of tires. And if that car was running around crashing into everything, trying to steal a tire, okay? Uh, that's like a free radically damaged cell, basically, or a, a free radical is basically got an uneven amount of electrons. It's running around crashing into other things, trying to take an electron. Now, what's also interesting about it is that um, when you start to look at all major illnesses, like, I mean, cancer or Alzheimer's or all kinds of neurological pain or aging, I mean, all kinds of just any type of like autoimmune, you'll start to see that there's a lot of them all have free radically damaged cells. So they, there's high amount of free radically damaged cells. Now, what a lot of times happens is you see people who are taking a lot of antioxidants, a lot of all these things, and yet they still have a high amount of radically damaged cells. And so 
it's been an ongoing thing, but what we're missing is the way that electrons actually interact with stress and how that affects the physical body. So that's, that was during my injury. I was like, okay, now I see how it can affect the physical body. Because if you have the cell and it's made of a bunch of atoms, and by the way, our stress can actually impact the atoms and electrons within the cell and damage other cells. Well, now you can easily see how the physical breakdown of the body occurs. And even tumors, tumors are just, you know, cells that aren't dying off properly that are just reproducing cells reproduce of like kind. So you have like these structures that build upon each other and then you have, and, and one knocks the other. It's like a bunch of three-year-olds at a birthday party, you know, playing, um, you know, musical chairs. I mean, literally you just have this unorganized kind of, kind of chaotic element in, in the body um, and, and, and unpairing more electrons and so on. They, what was so amazing was that I saw too, they did a study on tears. They did a study on tears and the, the chemical production of trauma, of stress on the body and these elements that tears that were taken, they touched the pH, which for those that may not know, you have pH balances and things that are more acidic or alkaline. And when you tend to be stressed or anxious and in that state, you become more acidic in a more acidic environment leading to inflammation and more precursor of disease. But they tested the tears of someone after a highly traumatic experience versus the tears of someone either like crying laughter or the element. And they actually tested the, the composition and the pH and the, and the levels of the components of those tears. And they actually had a different pH balance and the body reacts to emotion the body reacts to triggers the body reacts to, to sensations oh it does okay so you just mentioned emotion perfect and also the tumor did you see the woman that i worked with uh who had the tumor in her throat that yeah, i did story. one session and it was gone story. yeah share that story with us uh, yeah, yeah so <laughs> so there's a a woman who had a tumor for uh, about four or five months she tried everything and diet supplements meditate i mean everything she could find nothing was working. And so finally she scheduled a surgery and she scheduled a surgery for Friday. And so like Monday or Tuesday, somewhere in there, they took an MRI to re-scan it, check the size and all of that before the surgery. And they measured it five millimeters and you could see it, it was protruding from her throat. And literally by chance, <laughs> um, her and I happened to connect the day before her surgery. And we did an hour and 15 minute session and then, um, and then that night she was like, she didn't feel it. She, and, and so she was like, oh, it's probably moved or something like that. They, like, and so she showed up for surgery the next day and the ENT was like, I, I can't operate on something that's not there. And it was, it was completely gone. And so there's this awesome video of her just standing outside the hospital, like in tears going, I got <laughs> my surgery's canceled and I'm getting my $1,200 copay back. <laughs> and it's so great. Cause she's standing outside of the hospital and people are walking by and, and uh, it's it just it, beautiful. And the ENT is like, I've never seen anything like that in my 30 years of practice. And so um, it's amazing. Our minds are truly, and that was, an hour and 15 minutes. So the biggest thing from that is that what she did is I just coached her to make a real shift. And so what's exciting about this is a lot of people hear all of the time that your healing journey has to take five years or 10 years or 20 years. I just worked with somebody yesterday who's been on the healing journey for over 50 years and still has been, had been getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And, and so basically I see it all the time. And so what you want to think as you go through the processes and all of that is, okay, let me really embody change instead of 
resisting change because some people they'll they'll want to you know make the change like go through the steps but not fully embody it and so the biggest thing is as you're doing work and you're going through steps and processes and all that really embody it is huge because it's truly a journey and i love and i i can't stress enough to individuals that you know what we don't get all the answers at one shot. In a glorious day, we'd have all the answers in one shot. And, and it doesn't happen that way. It, it is. It's like that, that journey. And the biggest element is asking those questions, you know, asking why, but why now, but how, and don't stop asking those questions, which means you must have hope. And on those days that you don't feel like you have hope, believe that you are trusted by a magnificent God and an immense universe. And those people will show up. And sometimes as much as just crying out, I love when I'm like, just try it, right? Just try it ask that question, sit back and wait. You know, I don't believe God in the universe needs vetted. I think they can handle, handle themselves, you know, and the support system of people like you. And then it's like, when you begin to start that journey, you're going to see it. The support will come in the, in, 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 in they'll, they'll, they'll show up. It, it will. I have to say on that note right there, you know, going through my injury, I had felt very alone, even though I had people who were helping me with all kinds of things. I mean, my physical therapist would come over and tape me and I had people who were grocery shopping for me and all of these things and, and whatnot. But I, I had felt like a, a very alone because when you feel like you don't have a future, it just feels like you're on a different wavelength than everybody else around who's going through their life and whatnot. And so I felt very alone. And, and so finally, when I got better, I, I got better. I was so excited over the moon and I walking around running, I mean, lifting weights, just better. And I had been like, you know, injured so long in my same house. I was like, okay, it's time to leave. It's time to be done with this place. Cause you know, I could look around in beautiful house, but I had like some wheelchair marks on the corners of some of the baseboards and stuff. Like it just, I don't know. It was like, it was time for me to get out. And I'd spent like years in this house. Right. So as I, sold my house. The last day I like, you know how, when you go to move, you pack up like the last few things. And there was this song that like people had, while I was injured, they had put like music and CDs brought me different CDs, like musical CDs, things like that. And so I had this CD when I had been working on walking that I was working on walking to. And I had spent like a year practicing walking in my gait and, um, and just being able to walk right without a limp and all of these things and having my balance. And so that was in the last box. It was just like, you know, the, the stuff that's not in the moving truck, mm -hmm. that was the stuff that went in, in mine. And so, uh, so I grabbed my last couple personal items that were coming with me. And I just, I grabbed that. I looked at the house, just kind of like one final look, shut the door went into the garage, got into my car, you know, threw the stuff in the back, took that special CD and I put it in the player. And yes, this was back when we had CDs. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I took that CD, I put it in the player and I went to go back out. And as I did, the name of that song came up that I had been working on walking to. And it flashed across my CD player and it says, she walks in beauty. For over a year, I learned to walk and practiced walking to a song that I didn't know the name to, that had no lyrics. And in that moment, I knew that the universe and God had been with me 
entire time. And I just like <laughs> sat there in my garage yeah, yeah, and like bawled. <laughs> it was just that moment where I hadn't been alone, no matter how much I felt like I was alone. I wasn't. And literally um, there's just, I mean, the song has no lyrics, so I would have had no way of even knowing that the name of that song was she walks in beauty. And that was the song that I learned to walk and practice walking to for that long. So I believe that even the people that are the other side of your voice right now, it's not a coincidence. You know, those people that are hearing your story are, are intended to be on the other side of the summit. They're, they're intended to be in that place with us right here, right now on this journey. And the, the concept of saying, you're not alone. We see you, we hear you, you are safe. Uh, absolutely. And, and something, you know, you hit on something that said, you know, when you run out of hope and all of that, you know, that's what I found in going through my injury is that sometimes just reminding myself of the simplicity of it, because it was like, look, I know the placebo works. I can see that. I can see this. And it was like, I would point out certain things to my mind. So it's like, you can't give up if the answer is there. And that's what kept me going. Like, you know, even at that moment of the placebo, when I was like, you know, there's something, so I can't give up. I just need to figure it out. And so I think that to have, to be in a place of having no hope, which I was there. And, uh, and I quickly learned that if I had days that I had hope, I did great. And days without hope, I did really bad <laughs> as far as it just, it was not a, a happy day. And, uh, um, and so that would be just kind of wherever you are in the process, people in general, something you'll always want to do is look at the simplicity of it because it, when it feels like you can't do it or it feels like it's super technical and it's so impossible and there's all of these things, then it makes you want to give up, especially like, especially when you're already, if you have a health issue going on and you're already fatigued and you're already tired and you're already confused and you already have brain fog or whatever it else is. And then it feels like shh, on top of that, remember to keep in mind the simplicity of it and say, look, let me just Think about, you know, let me see. I can see that the placebo works and just remind yourself, look, we have some type of magic in our minds or watch, you know, that's, that's something else. And you mentioned as far as following up, that's something too. Okay. So I do have a podcast and on my podcast, that's where I'll take, like, I take volunteers who I've never worked with before who have, are experiencing chronic pain or whatever issue that they physically have. And I coach them to use their mind to release the pain. And so that might be something is just that you can see, because that's exactly why I do it is so people can see that it works and that it helps people to continue to have hope and the awareness that our minds really are amazing. And so I would say that is probably the, the biggest thing is just, I know what that, that lack of, of when you, when you don't have hope or you feel stuck, I know what that feels like all too well. So that's, that's ultimately what I'd recommend. And you're going to carry a link um, of it. So I have a video set where people can actually go step by step through the process to actually um, do it. So it just lays it out very simply, as you probably have noticed, I like to keep things simple. And, um, and so it's just a step by step process of how to take yourself from A to Z and create that shift. Um, and it's, it's a simple video set. Brandy, I just want to um, take this time and thank you for gifting us with the space and your soul and your story and your message. And um, as these individuals are just getting ready to kind of 
um, move forward here for a four-day brain health summit and some of it is newness and looking forward what to expect just kind of leave them with the best um, takeaways and kind of guidance on how you might feel they would it would best serve them moving forward for these next four days I mean I would say number one excitement because the reality of it is is that the very accident and injury that I felt like took away my entire life has given me more life than I ever realized was possible. And that is not something that for seven years that I ever thought that I would be saying. So um, I, of course, do it faster. And that's the other thing is I'd highly recommend is it, you know, when you're going through this process, I talked about really creating that shift. And, you know, part of what I'll do is I'll share you a video of me actually working with somebody under the thermography. And so you can see the shift under thermal medical equipment. And so point being is that you'll even notice that she really radically feels differently. And so I would say, you know, going through it, really embracing change and being ready to embrace change. And I know that a lot of times we can feel like we want to change and then we don't, or we feel like, you know, I would just say embody it, embrace change is, is my biggest suggestion. Be willing to have an open mind. Um, also keep hope and, and, you know, remind yourself something simple, like, Hey, we know there's magic in our minds. Look at the placebo and be determined to tap into that because it's just, it's really, really incredible. So there's that, um, there's the video where you can actually see it, which is really awesome. And then, um, also again, um, Francis, I, I love what you're doing. I think it's so wonderful. I have shared my video set as far as you'll have a link to that. And, um, and if you are somebody who's wanting that step-by-step -step process, I have a three-week course that you can go through step-by-step -step that can help you just implement the breakdown. But uh, so there's that as well. But that's the biggest thing is as I would, I would do if I were you is as you go through these next few days, have an open mind, uh, be willing to embrace change and, uh, and be excited, be excited. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody. You can find um, all of Brandy's information there on the speaker page. And she has um, been so graciously gifted um, information as long as links to the podcast. Brandy, thank you so much. Blessings and peace be with you. And I look forward to seeing all the new comings and sharing them with the audience as you continue to release new information. Thank you so much, Francis. You're wonderful. And I love what you're doing. And uh, it's going to be a fun summit. <laughs>